Hi, everyone. This is Jenny. Welcome to Miami Lit Podcast. I have a very special guest with me today, director Leon Lee, whose latest film, Unsilenced, is uh, so magnificent beyond so many uh, words that I feel like we just need to dive in because there's just so much to unpack with that film. Thank you, Leon, for being here once again. Thank you. How how's it been since the release of the film? Well, recently we have released it uh, online, uh, so it's on uh, Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, uh, etc. So uh, we've been getting uh, lots of feedback because back when uh, the film was released theatrically, <clears throat> it was still at the uh, the center of the pandemic, and many theaters were either closed or required. Uh, vaccine uh, certificates. Right. Uh, so many people wanted to go, but you know, felt were not able to or felt uncomfortable. Now they had a chance to see the film, and it was great getting all these uh, feedback from the uh, the audience. Yeah, I uh, unfortunately it wasn't showing in any of the theaters around us here in Miami, so we had to wait for it to become available online, and it was worth the wait. It's it's very incredible. Uh, this film, I think it's it it's one of those that's gonna stand the test of time for sure. I see it being used in classrooms, and it's just so many it has so much value. Before we truly get into the film, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your road to becoming a filmmaker. How how is that? I um, <clears throat> had a love for cinema since I was a boy. And um, I remember sometimes skipping classes to uh, go to the movies, if there are new movies coming. And uh, <clears throat> I got my hands on a little TV. So I was doing some of, you know, recording and just play around. But it wasn't until 2006, <clears throat> after I moved to Canada, that I seriously, uh, you know, started making films. And the first one was uh, a documentary, Human Harvest, mm. that uh, the one I was hoping I could finish in, in a few months. And it turned out to be an eight-year endeavor. Really? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, that was how I, I started making films. Wow. I did not know Human Harvest took that long to make. That's that's impressive and crazy. Um. That's actually how I first became aware of your work was through that film. And um, I was a teacher uh, a while ago, a high school English teacher. And that film, um, we should do a unit on human um, issues affecting humanity. And that film was a part of our curriculum in a way. And it was... It sparked a lot of thought and conversations that I don't think otherwise would have happened. So it, it's interesting that it took you so long to make. Well, mainly because it was extremely difficult to find yeah. uh, people who have gone to China for transplant and uh, are willing to talk about it on camera. Right. Of course, that film was about uh, the the allegation that the Chinese regime had been harvesting organs from uh, prisoners of conscience in China. Mm -hmm. And we eventually were able to find three cases. Uh, they were all from Taiwan who went to mainland China for their transplantations and, and the wild stories that happened to them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's one of those films that stay with you because you just don't want to think that those things happen. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, even after all those years, with all the efforts from different organizations, the practice of forced organ harvesting is still happening in China today. Wow. And it has, it's no longer limited to the Falun Gong practitioner. Uh, now it's, it's on, on the Uyghurs, uh, underground uh, uh, church members, you know, human rights activists. Right. That's, yeah, that's, that's very heavy. 
Very heavy. Um, that film you also wrote, correct? Human Harvest? Right. Yeah. How was that experience writing? Because not only just producing, directing, but also writing. That was a documentary. So, right. you know, more more often um, than, than not, documentary filmmakers were also writers on films. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Because largely we don't have a control on how things will unfold. And then writing becomes a way of uh, structuring the story so that it's more compelling and uh, in a way also more uh, allow more room for the viewers to, to take in what's really going on. And uh, um, quite often that happens in, in, in the editing process. So, while well, I had a an outline on where I think the, the story might go, uh, it turned out that none of them worked. <laughs> so I had to, uh, based on what's really happening, and based on what kind of access we were able to get in the end, uh, we had to completely, uh, you know, revamp the structure of the story. Was that easy for you as a writer? Because sometimes I feel like writers tend to become very attached to to their work or the the potential of the work. Was it easy for you to change the structure? I guess in the beginning, the thought process was like, oh, good. oh, this happened. Okay, let's see what we can tweak the existing structure to make it work. And eventually you realize you just have to let go. and. Um, be uh, more of an observer than someone trying to interfere, trying to be in the way. <clears throat> Once you do that, and you also recognize that, you know, um, things, things happen uh, and, and you can't, uh, the more you try to control it, uh, the less effective it becomes. So it, it, it's, it's better to trust your audience, <clears throat> trust your work, and just let let the story unfold. Yeah. I found that 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 helped me a lot. Did you during those eight years? Did you ever have a moment of doubt, thinking this is too difficult, too much? I want to pull the plug. To be honest, many times. Yeah. Um, for example, if. Uh, Imagine if you spend years trying to chase uh, a particular, a potential interviewee and, and helping this person overcoming all these uh, difficulties. And eventually <clears throat> you're there about to start the interview, lights are on, camera rolling, everything is ready. And then they basically tell you, I can't do this. I'm just, okay. I, 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 I got cold feet. Don't want to do this. Now what, right? So these these, these are the <clears throat> really the most uh, challenging moments. Uh, unlike narrative films, you can find, try to find actors, which, by the way, proved uh, not not really any easier. <laughs> right. But here you need people who uh, who, have, who have who have gone there, who have experienced. Uh, all these things themselves, which, by the way, are quite, you know, dramatic for them. Yeah. For them to open up and and tell you what really happened. Uh, So all in all, it was uh, really challenging. But after the film was released, uh, it caused quite a, you know, a splash internationally. Uh, We screened in uh, multiple congresses and parliaments all over the world and um, uh, adding... Uh, the efforts from all the other organizations and, and individuals, uh, we've seen some progress. China actually openly admitted that they were indeed using organs from uh, death row inmates, which they denied uh, all along. And they promised they would stop doing that. But it was, it was short-lived. <laughs> Soon after, uh, they started using organs from death row inmates again. And uh, they just changed the uh, the talking points. Now they're saying something like, 
deathrow inmates also have human rights. So if they want to donate their organs, they mm. should be allowed to do so. So overnight, all these deathrow inmates are become voluntary donors. Right. So it's um, unfortunately still happening. It's very questionable that you all of a sudden have this huge number of volunteers. Right. It's very convenient. Yeah. Yes. That I, I was not aware of that. Um, I thought they were just, you know, forced to do so. I didn't realize they had pulled a volunteer card now. Yeah. Wow. There's, there's it's quite an uphill battle. Um, there's a, a common denominator between human harvest and unsilenced, and that is, and excuse my mispronunciation, Falun Gong, um, which is, for, for those that don't know, would you explain it um, quickly? Right. <clears throat> Falun Gong, as I uh, understand it, is a uh, spiritual discipline that uh, has a long history in China, but it was only made public in 1992, by uh, Mr. Li Hongzhi. Um, he started teaching the practice which centers on the principles of truthfulness, uh, compassion, and tolerance all over China. And in uh, until 1999, the, 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 the people practicing Falun Gong grew very rapidly. According to the Chinese government's own estimate, there were over 70 million to 100 million people practicing Falun Gong. So you can see them <clears throat> practicing uh, in the morning, in the, in the parks, you know, everywhere. <clears throat> they were not only welcomed by the party in China, but also in a way supported uh, because they realized that Falun Gong had tremendous health benefits. Uh, and the premier uh, at the time even commented on how much uh, saving of healthcare costs the practice is bringing to the country. <clears throat> so it was all going very well. And um, then President Jiang Zemin uh, one day realized that the number of people practicing Falun Gong outnumbered the membership of the Communist Party. And he wasn't happy. Of course. In the meantime, uh, he felt that the very philosophy of truth, compassion, and tolerance contradict the core ideology of the Communist Party, which functions based on propaganda and violence. If a large number of people in China actually believe in truth, actually insist on telling the truth, then how would the propaganda of the Communist Party even work? So, he launched a brutal crackdown in order to eradicate Falun Gong in China in three months. Um, of so course almost was, overnight. <clears throat> right. Uh, of course, then there was uh, yet another political campaign in China. People were arrested, hundreds and thousands of them sent to prisons, uh, all the torturing, all the uh, children were kicked out of school because their parents were practitioners. Uh, husband were forced to divorce their wives, another disaster. And uh, of course, the Falun Gong practitioners didn't just sit there and, and do nothing. They, they, they wanted to tell the people what's really going on. And it seems that they not only they believed in truth as a philosophy, they actually stand up for it. So they started this grassroots campaign to disseminate information, to tell people what's really going on, because the government pushed out a lot of propaganda, as most communist regimes do, to defame Falun Gong. It's so what basically the students in uh, Unsilenced were doing uh, in real life and, and in, in the film. And that's what um, continues to this day. So. If you go to China now, probably you won't see somebody practicing Falun Gong <laughs> in the public. But uh, uh, through all my interviews, what I learned that is that millions of people still practice in China. They still continue their efforts. 
and a large population in China are gradually waking up. Thankfully. Was this the first time the CCP intervened between practitioners and their religious practice? Uh, sadly, no. Um, since the Communist Party took power in 1949, well, they started um, eradicating religions and spiritual practices in China. Yeah. Uh, all kinds of religions and spiritual practices. Right. Uh, it seems there's no room for spirituality in the Communist Party ever. Exactly. Yeah. They, uh, understandably, they don't want anybody uh, to be above the Communist Party leader, leaders, right? Whether mm -hmm. it's the Buddha, the Lord, or Allah, or whoever. Yeah. The Communist yeah. leader needs to be the, su the supreme <laughs> right. authority on everything. Yeah. I mean, I remember stories because I wasn't born at that time, but I was born in Cuba. And I remember my grandmother telling us that when Castro came into power, people were taking the, the portrait of Jesus and just dumping them out on the street. And they had to go to church undercover. No one knew they were going to church or mass or anything like that because that was a... a big deal right <clears throat> even now uh if you go to china you will see many temples you will actually see many churches but they're all under strict control yeah uh, you have to get a license to become a monk in china and in the in the exams they ask you whether you support the uh, the chinese communist party <laughs> and um uh, i i was told they a couple of years ago, uh, translated the, the Bible to Chinese again. And with this new translation, they've also made some convenient changes. So it's easier mm. to find support for the, uh, the Chinese Communist Party. Wow. Do you think um, most of the people of China are unhappy with this situation? <clears throat> my my well, there were a couple of things one i think uh most people are busy in their daily lives trying to, trying make to survive right so yeah i doubt that most people are constantly thinking about the regime change uh secondly lots of events are happening that that, that will force people to to think about this issue. For example, we've many people have heard about the, the contaminated uh, baby formula incidents mm -hmm. in China, the fake vaccine. Um, once in a while, there will be a major uh, incident in China that people that, that will wake people up. You know, people are thinking, what's really going on? How come in a country with 5,000 years of civilization, now we're in a stage that our children can't even buy, can't even have a normal vaccine, right? They can't even have uh, uncontaminated baby formula, uh, things like that. Uh, the extreme lockdown measures in Shanghai recently, uh, lots of my friends who were very supportive of the party suddenly realized, oh my goodness. And they have horror stories. They were just trying to go somewhere and then they were forced to go back and locked up uh, weeks without uh, without uh, a resupply can't go out. Some of in some communities, the local officials even welded the doors of the buildings so nobody can get out. Imagine what if, there, what if there's a fire? Yeah, and many people. Uh, it's 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 hard to imagine things would happen in Shanghai, such a big city in in this day and age. You, we. We've seen people, the videos online, that the whole entire family uh, would jump out of a building because they, just, they, they have no food, they couldn't deal with the, the, the things anymore. Um, pregnant women uh, who cannot go to the hospital to deliver a baby. We've seen people uh, commit suicide because they had an emergency. Uh, it was just too painful and they couldn't go to the hospital. 
uh, people can go to their chemotherapy appointments. All these things, I think, <clears throat> and, and certainly, if you look at the the bigger picture, you know, when I started doing this in two thousand six, for example, uh, compared to now, after Unsilence was uh, released, and I I get feedback from people from China all the time. Really? Yes. So they're they're uh, aware of your work. They're aware. I was told uh, some of my films were among the most pirated political films in China. That's good news. So as a filmmaker, I thought, wow, that's interesting. I, 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 right. I do have distribution in China. <laughs> <laughs> so if I look at the uh, the bigger picture on how people respond uh, to my films, I can see a trend. Mm-hmm. A lot more people are willing to take the time to understand what's going on. And they uh, are very supportive of uh, of my work. So I think... Uh, overall, I, I remain hopeful despite the the dark times now. Yeah, that yeah, that was that's one of my questions for you. How do you spend so much time, right, writing, producing, and directing these films that are just so heavy and have such real life in the moment impact? Because you're not discussing something that happened long ago or something that might happen in the future is going on right now and so many people's lives are at stake what keeps you going two things in particular one is uh i had the privilege to talk to people who had experienced the <clears throat> persecution in china firsthand and who had uh, you know stood up to it uh, for example the real life one in uh, <clears throat> which is uh, uh, the story that happened in Unsilenced. Uh, he was from uh, the Tsinghua University in Beijing, which is considered China's MIT. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a bright future. He was a PhD candidate. He was tapped uh, by the party. And people who are familiar with Chinese politics know that if you were in Tsinghua University, you are tapped by the party, you have the entire world in front of you. You can go into politics. Uh, former President Hu Jintao was from Tsinghua University, went, went through the same route. You can go to a multinational company, you can start your own business, you can do whatever you want, right? So <clears throat> he had a bright future. He, he practiced Falun Gong and overnight, he became he, he was turned from a party elite to an uh, enemy of the state. Now he had, he had a choice to make. He could simply just say, okay, I, I I, I, I won't do volume anymore. And life will go back to normal. But he won't. He simply uh, stick to his conscience and continue this uh, horrible, horrible journey to expose the crimes and to tell people what's really going on. I, I found it really inspiring. Because I asked myself, if, if I were in his shoes, what would I do? I don't think, to be honest, I would, I would yeah. have the guts to do the same thing. Uh, but now, in, in the comfort of of Canada, you know, in a free country, <clears throat> I can tell their stories. I can bring their stories to the world. So, I uh, more people will, be, will will be inspired by them, just as as I I was. So that was. Uh, really uplifting for me. And, and secondly, it was the feedback from, from viewers I mentioned before. Um, it was really moving to receive a, a long email. Somebody will detail their transformation, if you like, how they were really advocating the party because I went through the same process, right? And then uh, they one thing made them to look further. They bypassed the firewall in China. They discovered uh, my work. They, 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 they saw the movie and they was completely blown away. And they, then they started telling everybody they know what happened. So these are the stories that really make me feel, wow, this is, this is really meaningful work. Yeah, yeah. It's worth everything. And Absolutely. As a, as a viewer, I can tell you it's, much more than just appreciated 
these are stories that are universal. Uh, they're necessary to document exactly what is happening so that we make sure, you know, as the cliche says, we can prevent it from happening again. And I just that alone, it's so impactful. But you mentioned Wang, and that that's the big question, right? That people can ask themselves. If you find yourself in his shoes, what would you do? I have to agree with you. I don't think I would have put my life on the line like that. As brave as I would like to think I am, uh, what he went through was extremely difficult. His life was on the line at every second. But yet he just held on to truth. And truth seems to be a theme throughout your films, but especially here in Unsilenced. Um, which the title, you know, it's just, it's perfect. How important do you feel it is for us as human beings to, to stand by truth, even in those extremely difficult times? That's a, that's a great question. <clears throat> well, I think the importance of truth is in a way self-evident because we, uh, if we ask ourselves, uh, do, do you want to be lied to? A very simple question, right? Most people will say, no, of course not. Uh, so if, 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 if we want everyone to have any genuine interaction between people, uh, we need the truth. You know, without, without truth, um, how just imagine every day in your life, everything you know uh, turns out to be a lie. Mm -hmm. And how can you even navigate your life? How can you even make any important decisions? If you can discern what is true and what is not. And then for society, um, if there's no truth, there's no trust. If there's no trust, how can any community function properly? So um, without even going to any philosophical level, you know, I think people understand truth is important. But what's even more important, in my, in my opinion, is the idea that we we have to actively seek the truth because we all have some sort of preconceived notion on everything if we don't spend the effort to actively seek the truth quite often we will be gradually settling in our own bubble uh, without reali realizing that we are no longer getting the truth so i think that's important to realize and remind ourselves whenever we hear something you know, go and spend some time and do your own research, whether it's something that conforms with your notion or not. Find out what's really going on. And only by doing that, uh, number one, you know what happens. And number two, you can make an informed decision. Uh, otherwise, you, you may think you, are, uh, you have a strong opinion on something. You are standing up for the truth, but... Is that really the truth? Right. Yeah. And especially in a, an environment like China and other countries under that situation, truth is non-existent. And like you mentioned, how do you build a community, a society that can thrive if there's no truth? Um, it seems like we have a lot of information nowadays and even misinformation. How do you arrive at truth if you're constantly bombarded with all these half-truths and downright lies? Right, that, that's another great question. Um, for me, I think, one, uh, we really have to uh, expand our reach. You know, if you always get information from one source, try to get multiple sources. Just expose yourself to different ideas and, and try to think rationally, think through what the other people are thinking or, or, or trying to say. I suppose, I suppose, you know, um, try to shut it down in, in the very beginning. <clears throat> and secondly, I think it's to go, go back to the basics. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if you try to justify something with fancy theories and uh, all kinds of stuff. 
sometimes because they're not the truth, you need so much effort to justify it. Go back to the basics that had that has been guiding us for thousands of years. <laughs> basic interactions between people: what is good, what is bad. You know, um, if if we can all do that, I think things will be more clear. You know, sometimes um, we may think we're going forward, but but we are actually going backward. <laughs> yeah, we're going backwards or in circles. Which is kind of the same, I guess. Um, uh, continuing on the vein of truth, the world just has so much support now for the idea that communism does not work. Yet we see China and so many other countries, unfortunately, continuing with this idea, right? That this is how society should be run. Why do you think that is? Yeah, that's that's a very insightful question. Um, I have a, a few thoughts came to mind. One, uh, overall, I think we're on the on the on the right track because there are probably more than fifty countries uh, embracing socialism or communism after the Second World War, right? One way or another. Now there are only a handful. So. Uh, for a long time, I don't, you know, we haven't seen more countries turning uh, communism. So that's that's the trend. We're on the right track. Secondly, uh, we there's no denial that the the thought of communism and socialism is gaining some traction. Uh, we've they they've always been there, right? Even in the West, but now it seems. A new generation came, you know, came about and somehow felt that that's that's the solution. Uh, this is not new, in, because many uh, people in China and in, in other countries they embraced socialism and communism with the same uh, enthusiasm, thinking that oh, this is the solution, but. Uh, you have to look at the real life experiments, you know, after millions of people slaughtered, after yeah. all the war, famines, all the terrible persecutions. Uh, if you seek any empirical evidence, uh, you would know that no matter what, it, how fancy it sounds on the paper, in theory, this thing doesn't work. And if you still don't have doubt, you know, instead of trying to validate something on paper, I have a suggestion, you know, go to China. Yeah. Spend some time there. Don't, don't just be a tourist, you know, go to the Great Wall and then have some fancy food and think, oh, it's great. Voice your opinions on something, you know, publish things online. Yeah. And see what happens. Tell people how you feel, you know, just say uh, 10% of the things you are allowed to say in, in the US, for example, and say them in China. And, uh, and see what happens. If you experience firsthand what's happening in a so-called communist or socialist country, then you can make up your mind whether something is working. You know? and, and if you really like it, you, know, you can stay there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny that you say that because um, uh, so a, a friend sent me a clip of... Um, a lady that worked for some organization. I think I, I don't recall what it what it is right now. She's somewhere in, in you know middle America, middle of the United States, and she's giving a speech on how Cubans vote every couple of years for their constitution and how it's so helpful for their society and their health care. And how the United States need to, needs to adopt this idea. And, and then I'm thinking, like, exactly what you said. Why don't you go over there? And I keep digging. And she does. She goes over there. And she, you know, on, on the great Samaritan ship of goodness that she brings with her, all these medicines for the amazing health care that they have. 
And yet she's still spewing all this nonsense. I, I, I don't, I don't understand. I, I was at a loss. So. Yeah. Well, I, I, I read a joke sometime uh, earlier this year. Uh, it's if if they were sort of exchange programs like that. You, know? <laughs> you go to the uh, U.S. embassies in in China. You'll see a long line all the time. I'm, I'm, I guess it's the same thing in, in Cuba. People are lining up trying to come to the U.S. or Canada, you know. And then you have people here in the Western world who are praising what uh, praising the Chinese regime. Mm-hmm. Let's do an exchange program. Let the people in China who want to come here come here, and people here who want to go there go there. Yeah, all settled. No, yeah. no more arguments. <laughs> exactly. Easy fix. Yeah, it's uh, it's so interesting when you look at what all these people go through to get to places like the United States and Canada. They risk their lives all the time. You know, my father was one of them. He he and a couple of other guys stole a military raft in 1991 and took to the ocean and came here. Wow. And yeah, I mean. Thankfully, they made it, but there's so many that don't and they lose their lives. And yet we have people claiming it's so amazing over there in in our countries. But I want to get back to Unsilenced. And uh, when we're talking about truth, let's discuss a little bit censorship because that's the opposite of truth, I feel like. Um, How do issues affecting human rights in China affect the West? Because most of us feel like, well, that's happening way over there. I, it, There's nothing for me to do. There's nothing for me to concern myself with. But as we know, that's not necessarily the case. That brings me to, uh, <clears throat> that was the very question I, on my mind when I made the film Letter from Mazenja, yeah, which was about an SOS note uh, discovered by a woman in Oregon, Julie Keith. He bought this package of Halloween decoration from Kmart. And uh, the note came out. It was from someone in the notorious Mazenja labor camp. They were forced to produce these uh, Halloween decorations under horrific conditions. We were able to track down this letter writer uh, and the international publicity actually brought down the entire re-education through labor system in China. It was a powerful story. So uh, that's the, the perfect story to illustrate that human rights violations in China had a direct impact on our daily lives here in the West. The things you buy could be manufactured by slave labor in China. Uh, and if you know that, I, when, you, when you celebrate whatever holiday or festivals, I think it brings in um, another level <laughs> of understanding of what's going on there. So that's to put it simply, but more on, on a broader level, uh, if China, if the Chinese regime is emboldened to persecute its own people, to do whatever they want, their ambition is not limited to the borders of China. Now we see Hmm. the uh, aggressions of of the communist regime in the South China Sea. We see that they are uh, actively working to somehow invade Taiwan and take democracy and freedom from the 23 million people in Taiwan. Uh, we see that China had a long-term plan to replace America as the dominant force in the world. Well, America has all its problems and and mistakes and all those. Uh, I I think if you just think for a moment, what if China was calling the card? You know, what if... Our lives would look completely different. (laughs) Right? So um, then they will export all these policies worldwide. 
And uh, then where do people go? Hmm. So, so yeah, it's 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 a real danger to the world, and I'm glad that more people, uh, especially governments all over the world, have realized that that the Chinese Communist regime is the uh, existential threat, and I mean no exaggeration, to our way of life in the West. Definitely, yeah, that's um. That's a lot for people to consider, and it's it's more than just surface level, like you said. Uh, as you mentioned, Human Harvest and your other film are more documentary style, whereas Unsilenced, we have a dramatization of real life events. Was there a reason why you chose to to film it this way as opposed to another documentary? I look at each story and ask myself, what would be the best way to tell this particular story? And for the human harvest and letter from Ma Senjia, for example, the if we were to make a narrative film, people wouldn't have believed it. Hmm. They would think it's, how can someone write an SOS note and end up in America? This is just pure fiction, right? That's a good point. I never thought of that. Uh, and for <clears throat> another short film uh, I made called uh, Ragdoll, I made it using stop motion animation. You can actually watch it free on YouTube. Ragdoll um, uh, stop motion. Do that. I think we have 1.2 million views uh, now. And uh, that was about the experiences of, of orphans in China whose parents were killed because they because of their whether political uh, stance or spiritual practices the many orphans in China and when I heard their story my heart broke for them the the things they have to de deal with and and even at a very young age so that one I thought hmm interesting especially uh, the the young girl I interviewed uh, she was actually, Uh, making dolls in uh, in a labor camp in Shanghai. So this made me think, okay, maybe I, I can do a stop motion animation from a doll's point of view. Uh, the the a children's uh, imagination, uh, children's innocent, right? And from their point of view, experience the traumatic events. Of persecution in China and see what happens. That's why I made a uh, stop motion animation for that story. For Unsilenced, it happened uh, quite some time ago, and Wang had already spent, uh, I think, eight and a half years in a Chinese prison. He survived and he's in the US. It would be very difficult to make a documentary. Uh, and even if we were to do it, it had to heavily rely on reenactment. I thought, what if I would do a narrative film um, so that people, there, there's more, there's a broader appeal in a sense. Mm -hmm. You know, some people don't like watching documentaries. <laughs> There may be a They're missing out. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's, that's why we pick different, you know, genre and formats for different kinds of stories. Yeah, well, this one fitted beautifully. It's it's very enthralling, and the actors did such a fantastic job. They were <laughs> yes, amazing. Yes, the actors are extremely talented, but also very brave. Very brave. Yes. Yeah, uh, I would like to discuss briefly your uh, your difficult endeavor into finding the actors, because from the research that I did, it wasn't as simple as one would think. Right. Um, we obviously need some Chinese-speaking actors. Mm -hmm. And understandably, almost all Chinese-speaking actors one day want to develop their career in China. Uh, China is now, I think, into 2020, it surpassed the U.S. to become the, the largest uh, the, uh, box office in the world. So... 
even for those actors who are not in China now, they don't want to completely shut down the door. So that was very difficult to find Chinese-speaking actors, even English-speaking actors, actors in America or Canada. Many of them are hoping that you know they may be in Hollywood productions one day. They don't want to ruin the opportunity because those films will likely want to distribute in China. So wow. you know, all in all, we had actors backing off. Even after accepting our offer, days before productions were to start, we had、uh, locations canceling on us. So within、um, a two-month period, I believe our core team had only one day off, because almost every day after a long day of production, we had to scramble to find new locations or cast new people. Just to continue the production,、uh, so all in all, it was.、Uh, it's safe to say that Unsilent is the most difficult project I've made so far. Wow, wow, that's that just adds a whole different layer to to the the viewer's experience to take all that into account, and now to think about the pressure that people. In in your world, you know, doing this craft have to deal with with when it comes to Hollywood and and appeasing all these what ifs.、Um, yeah, that's and, and sometimes the pressure is is real for these people. For example, one actor, because part of the film we shot in Taiwan, obviously we can't go to China to film this, <clears throat> and even in Taiwan, there was an actor who was. Uh, a very talented actor who accepted a role, and then guess what?、Uh, a prominent figure in the Taiwan film industry,、uh, who had who also had close connection to the government, went to their、uh, went to his house and told his family that he cannot accept this role because this will be、uh, suicide in in his career. Wow! Although this actor really wanted to do this. He did not want his parents and whole family to worry. He had to back out. Yeah. Now we're talking about Taiwan, the one place、yeah. that really stand up to all the pressure, because your very life depend on it.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> But how ironic know, is that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's such a shame. It's um, because unfortunately, when when you're dealing with these types of regimes, it's not just you. They bring everyone you love into it, and they、yes. tear down everything that matters to you. So it's not like you could say, "I'm going to sacrifice myself," because the whole you're bringing down the whole village. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's tough.、Um, would you return to China if you were allowed? There is no official ban on me going back to China now, but、okay. uh, it's it's safe to say if I go back, I may not be able to come yeah, out again. Exactly. <laughs> so、uh, that's not a good idea, and I don't take any flights operated by Chinese airlines. You、oh. know, I don't ever cross their airspace. Okay. Wow, that's yeah. That that's a lot to to think about. I'm sure as you you know you go through life.、Um, yeah, that's. <laughs> I'm stumped. I did not realize it was that serious. Which I mean, of course. Well, the, what was I, I thinking? I'm I'm, I'm no really、uh, no no exception because many、uh, yeah dissidents or you know writers or any kind of artists or political dissidents. Faced the very same situation. Right.、Uh, I myself were harassed. My family members were harassed by the officials.、Uh, I've got death threats. I've、uh, all kinds of things happen. They try to interfere with my work. They intimidate my funders.、Uh, they labeled me a traitor on state media.、Uh, but everybody goes through the same process. It seems、mm-hmm. if you, if you have done some meaningful work. But、yeah. then,、uh, after some time, it'll it'll go quiet.
because they realized you were not backing off short of eliminating you for good. Uh, anything they do will only promote your work. Oh, so they sort of stop, you know. They ignore uh, you in the hopes that you might just go away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they try to bribe you. They try to, you know, uh, but then if, if nothing works, um, it seems that they stop doing those stuff for a while. Something may pop up again. Um, but in the end, here, here's the deal. For me, if people like Wang can do what they do in China, you know, I, I can do, I can tell their story in Canada. They are, they are the ones truly risking their lives. Mm-hmm. And they trusted me with their stories. Uh, the least I can do is to tell their stories the best of my ability. And at least um, next time I see them, I can take a look into their eyes and tell them I did what I can. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. And telling the stories you did, and in such a masterful way, that that last scene in On Silence, uh, or one of the last scenes when the journalist gets on that boat, is just so powerful because you know I that at least he there's some hope out of all of that what was i'm curious what was your favorite uh scene from the film ah well it seems i uh i wrote them so i like, <laughs> I like most of them all of them <laughs> <laughs> yes but um uh for me, it's, it's it's the genuine emotion. Uh, for example, Wang when Wang had to uh, leave the university and he had to say goodbye to his professor, and no words could ex- describe how he felt, because the professor have treated him as his son, and he uh, Wang knows full well the kind of trauma that the professor must have been experiencing losing his son again. Right, right. Uh, but he had to. He had to say goodbye, and he couldn't face him, so he had a simple bow, and that's it. It was moments like that. It was moments when the professor, after all, losing his sons, and then living through the Cultural Revolution, all the propagandas, and finally summoned his courage to translate the article to Chinese and distribute it himself. You know, you, you can you can see determination on his face. A very simple scene, but I think that's uh, that's quite powerful. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's so interesting because the film's title is Unsilenced, but throughout the film we see these moments take place in pure silence. These exchanges, like you mentioned, these subtle looks, they're just so heavy and there's just so much being said without words being exchanged it's amazing that um it came across so easily the actors were just fantastic yeah and obviously your your writing is reflected throughout so that's thank you congratulations again it's such a wonderful film do you have any future projects that you would that you can discuss with us Yes, um, a feature film I'm working on is about uh, how an overseas Chinese uh, software engineer was able to defeat the multi-billion dollar Great Firewall of China uh, through his, you know, his garage, in, in his garage. Wow. As you, many people know that in China, there is the firewall. You cannot visit Facebook Twitter, Google, uh, or most of the Western uh, media mm-hmm. uh, websites. So um, they and it's it, it's a they spend billions of dollars on it with the assistance of companies like Cisco <laughs> and and you know Western technology giants. So it became very sophisticated, and I was told that many countries are learning this technology from China. Kind of like wow. Iran, you know. <laughs> huh. uh, so 
That's another scary thought. So the uh, imagine how difficult it is to punch a hole on, on the firewall. But then uh, one guy did it. He's continuing doing it. And uh, he, he largely was, you know, living a private life without raising any attention. Uh, but eventually he wanted to tell his story. So this will be a story based on his uh, experience. Uh, hopefully the film will come out sometime next year. Well, I will be in line to watch that. I'm excited for that. That sounds another worthy story that needs to be told. And it's just I was just completely blown away by how smart he is to um at one point uh how to block his software in China became a top priority among the computer science and in networking computer network uh, departments and universities all over China. And mm -hmm. we have uh, students completing their master or PhD degrees. And their thesis was to defeat <laughs> their software. The Chinese uh, Academy of Science, or I forgot the exact name of the institutions, had grant for top scientists in China to block their software. <laughs> and they published the papers. And yet, across the ocean, there's one guy in his garage. Right. No matter what they do, they just can't shut him down. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. I, I can't wait to see that and learn more about him. That's amazing. It's, uh, there's a common thread throughout the stories that you choose to tell that I just think it's so important. And that is the triumph of the human spirit. No matter what you're up against, all it takes is that one person that says, no, I'm going to tell yes. the truth. I'm going to punch a hole in that wall. And that's Absolutely. priceless. And uh, very often I people ask me, how come the Chinese people don't, you know, stand up, don't do something about it? Yeah. They are doing it every day. Um, Ten years ago, there was a stat published by the People's Daily. The Communist Party's mouth bees in China, they called something like a, a group incident. Essentially, it was a protest or a riot. Uh, even more than 10 years ago, according to their stats, there were over, I think, well, over uh, 20 or 30,000 of uh, group incidents every year in China. So if that's the case, we're talking about uh, China is a big country, but still th this is happening multiple times every day, right? Yeah. And after that year, they stopped publishing the stats. Hmm. So I guess it's increasing. It's not yeah. <laughs> and the fact that people sometimes are worried that now China is using artificial intelligence, literally billions of CCTV cameras all over China, uh, to control people, social credit score. But I'm actually hopeful. The very reason that they need to re resort to those sophisticated technologies to control people is because whatever they were doing before wasn't working anymore. That's right. Right? That's so, such an interesting outlook, yeah. So it, it, people are, you know, standing up. And there is... that. There's one thing that's probably perhaps the most underreported stories in China by the, by the Western media. It was the movement of quitting the Communist Party and its affiliated organizations, the Youth League, the Young Pioneers, for example. They started in 2004, I believe, quite some time ago. Uh, essentially, there's a website. People can bypass the firewall and go there to denounce their party membership. Uh, you can use a, a real name or an alias. Some people would go to say, I quit. Some people will write a long essay, telling, you know, starting from their grandfather all the way to them, how their attitudes towards the party changed. Wow. In the end, they will say, I want to quit. In the beginning, I, I, to be honest, I didn't take it seriously. I thought it's a website. People yeah. just go there and say something, you know. Uh, 
Last time I checked, there were close to 400 million people wow. who have gone to the website to quit the CCP and its, its affiliated organizations. Even if you have to use an uh, alias, it still takes courage to go there and say something. Yeah. I believe these people are the seeds. One day, a seemingly small event will happen in China. That will be the spark. And these people who have learned the truth will do something. And, and you will see a change in China. Probably nobody has ever predicted, even the day before. Yeah. That's powerful. And the right kind of attitude that we need to, to continue on until that spark comes. Because that, you know, hearing these stories and, and living under those conditions keeps you, it can tend to keep people feeling defeated. But you are, you're right. If we focus on, on everything, the evidence, it, it proves that cha people are aware change should be on their way. And, and time is on our side. History is on our side. Yeah. Dictatorships won't last forever. We know that. So right. uh, it could be one year, it could be 10 years, it could be a lifetime. We just have to keep going on it. And, and one day it's, it's, uh, it's going to happen. Definitely. Definitely. It's such a pleasure talking to you. I have one more question before I let you go. Yes. As you know, we're a literary podcast, so we always end our episodes with some books. Do you have any books that you would like to recommend to us? Oh, uh, many. <laughs> But, <laughs> um, why not take a look at, um, I believe it's by Michael uh, Pewsbury. He's got a book titled The 100-Year Marathon. Uh, he had some very insightful insider knowledge about the Communist Party in China and oh, wow. its long-term plan for the West. That's scary. <laughs> Doesn't look good. Just... But uh, we can't bury our head on the, in, the sun, in the sand, you know, to understand because there is no real election in China, So they were allowed to plan three, four generations. And they had this plan for a long time now. They were playing time, the long game. The long game, really yeah. long game. And they, it's, it's, if you look at the game, what, what, the, the game plan that they had decades ago, you would be shocked to see how many of them they've already achieved. Wow. Including how to stir problems in the U.S., in terms of all kinds of ideologies. Uh, you know, you can't make this stuff up. You know, that this is, it, it's, it's either a, a astonishing coincidence or a plan. Wow. Yeah. I'm definitely gonna put that on my, on my list and read it and learn so much more about it because it's, it, There does seem to be a very well thought out plan because everything's working in their favor. It seems like, um, yeah, that's that's very scary. But like you said, we can't keep our head in the sand. It's better to know yes. the truth. The truth once again, the truth shall set you free. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much. Um, We, I would like to take the liberty of dedicating this episode to all the victims of communism from all over the world, but especially China. And thank you for, for all your work and using your craft to tell these stories. I can't wait to, to see the next film and thank you. Thank learn you so much, so much more. And uh, <clears throat> for your uh, listeners or viewers who want to check out Unsilenced, they can go to unsilencedmovie.com. And there are many platforms they can uh, they can choose from. Absolutely, yes, yes, and and let us know um, what what you think. 
how it affected you because it will have an impact. I can tell you that much. You will walk away with some feelings. So I, I'd be curious to see how how our listeners react. But thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you for sharing with us. And to everybody listening and watching or both, uh, as we always say, time is a top currency and we're so grateful that you choose it to spend them with us. I hope you took something away from today's episode, although I have a feeling you're going to take a lot away from today's episode and go uh, enjoy Unsilenced. Thank you. Chase your tears.